Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. And welcome back to our new study. We're just beginning. We, uh, we did kind of an introduction last week, but this week we are getting into the meat of what is the book of Colossians, and I'm calling this study, Jesus is Enough. Please make your way over to the book of Colossians right now. Jesus is enough. In fact, there's nothing that we can add to what he's already done. He's done it all. He's made the bridge back to the Father, to to God in heaven that was broken when Adam and Eve Uh, sinned. There was a break between mankind and the Father, and Jesus Christ is the bridge builder that restores us back to the Father. Paul was nothing if not an encourager. Read any letter that he wrote in the New Testament, and you'll find that it contains some sort of encouragement for the believers that he's writing to, different churches in the first century. One of the most touching moments in NBA history took place in the 2003 playoff game between the Portland Trail Blazers and the Dallas Mavericks. Actually, it happened right before the game began. Natalie Gilbert was a 13-year-old eighth grader who had won the chance to sing the national anthem a cappella before the game. Even though she had been in bed all day with the flu, she was determined to do her best. She was obviously nervous, and a few lines into the song, Natalie forgot the words. Every singer's nightmare. She stood there embarrassed in the spotlight in front of the crowd and the national television audience. It had to be the most agonizing moment in young Natalie's life. And everyone there was embarrassed for her. But after only a few seconds of uncomfortable silence, Maurice Cheeks, the trailblazer's head coach, walked to Natalie's side, put his arm around her, and helped her with the words. They started singing together, and soon the entire crowd was singing the national anthem at the top of their lungs. His act of helping Natalie brought the crowd into the rest of the song, There was thunderous cheering when they all reached the final words that we know, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. Fortunately, there was someone there to encourage young Natalie to keep going forward, to keep finishing, headed for the finish line of the song. Wouldn't it be great if Christians came together and did the same, that if one of us fell down or one of us made a mistake or, or did something that there were other Christians that would turn around, bend over and offer a hand to help that person up. Let me tell you, we're getting into a day in our, our, our history when we're going to need to do more and more of that. The writer of Hebrews, and I lean towards Paul, wrote in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, He said, and let us consider how we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's what the coach did. He went out there. He saw someone that was hurting and in need, and he encouraged her. He spurred her on to finish what she was doing, not giving up meeting together. That means not stopping stopping church, not sitting at home on Sundays, but coming together as some are in the habit of doing 
but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And that, that uh, word day in your Bible should be capitalized. The day that he's talking about is the day that Jesus Christ returns. When the father looks to his son and says, go get my children, Jesus is going to come to, in the clouds, in the rapture. He's going to call up all his father's children, and he's going to take us to heaven. And, and so we will be with the Lord forevermore, the word tells us. In his opening statements to the Colossians, Paul gives thanks to God for his brothers and his sisters that were there who were striving to grow in their new found faith. Paul was so good at that. As we prepare to read our scripture today, let me tell you that it's one of the longest Greek sentences in all of the Bible, probably spoken by Paul to his scribe Timothy, who was there in prison voluntarily. Paul had been arrested for sharing the gospel. They threw him in prison to decide what they would do with him. Young Timothy comes along. He's his protege. Paul had um, ministered to, to young Timothy, even discipled him. And young Timothy began to go with Paul wherever he would go. Paul needed help in prison, so Timothy voluntarily went into prison, became his scribe, and he, Timothy was free to come and go. And he ministered to Paul while he was there. I want to remind you that Paul was not writing this letter from a lounge chair overlooking the Sea of Galilee in a penthouse suite at the Herod's Hotel. <laughs> He's in a first century Roman prison. Debbie and I got to go to Rome, and, and they've unearthed the prison that's called the Mamertine Prison that was from the first century of Rome. It's where Paul was likely held while he was awaiting trial. And I can tell you this, you would not want to be in the hole of the ground with 30 or 40 other people all together, pressed together in the dark. There's no light there. The only light would come every, was when they would feed the prisoners. They would open up the top of this, at the very top of this, hewn out in rock circle. They would open it up for a minute, and you might get some light then, but the rest of the time you were in the dark. Let's read our passage today, beginning in chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learned from Epaphras, who, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Paul was oftentimes thankful for the growth of various churches around the Mediterranean, and Colossae was no different. Contained in our six-verse uh, six passage this morning, today are four growth stages of faith. And hopefully you're somewhere along the road in this four stages of faith. You ought to look at yourself and see and know where you are so that you can point yourself to where you want to be. And as a church, we do the same thing. Where is our church right now and where do we want to be? What do we need to do so that all four growth stages of faith are sinking and firing as they should? 
Notice stage one here, and if you take notes on the back of your bulletin, you can fill them out. Notice stage one in their faith, they opened their ears. They opened their ears. Verse five, Paul writes, because of hope, which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard, he writes, before in the word of truth of the gospel. Now, the word heard is used three times just in these six verses. In order to come to salvation and in order for a person to grow in that salvation and grow in their faith and mature in their faith, they must first open their ears. Open it to what? Open it to the word of God. Open it. You you can't become a Christian unless you've heard the gospel. You've used your ears to open up and hear the gospel. The gospel message had made its way to Colossae when a faithful man by the name of Epaphras, who had heard the gospel preached from Paul, opened his ears and he received it while he was in Ephesus and Paul was preaching. Paul set up a a class, a ministry there in, in Ephesus for three years. He stayed there. There was so much fruit there. He just kept preaching and teaching and and discipling these new converts in their new faith. And Epaphras is one of the uh, men who came to faith there and was discipled by Paul. Epaphras was so filled with joy at receiving God's grace through Jesus Christ that he took it back home to his home city in Colossae, some hundred miles inland from where Ephesus was and Paul, and he began to share it there with other people. And these people opened up their ears to the good news. Eventually, that led to a wave of new believers, and a new church was planted right there in his own city. Oh, that we would be so excited to share our faith, that we would go out from this church and that many would come to Christ. Many would see us share our faith and live our faith, not just to know the words on the page, but to be putting feet to it and actually do what it says. Because I guarantee you that if we were doing that, we would see this valley explode and that many would come to Christ. Epaphras could have remained with his mentor and his friend Paul in Ephesus, But he had a burning desire to take this newfound faith, this good news, back to the people that he knew in his city. And he began to share it there, and it exploded in his city. While I was studying in the seminary, I met a passionate man from a country in Asia. I won't tell you his name or where he's at because he's in a country that that might cost him his life if he's caught. Uh, He had come over to the U.S. for training to become a pastor, Over the years we spent in school, I came to enjoy him, but the day came when it was time for him to go back to his country. He he was at uh, graduation, and I asked him to look me up whenever he came back to San Diego, but his reply remained with me over the years and even to this day. In his best English, he said, Pastor Ben, I do not think we will ever see each other again on earth. He said, I'm going back to my home where over over 95% of my people have never heard the name of Jesus. And I will work there sharing the gospel until I die. I will see you again in heaven. Wow. It's like getting slugged in the stomach. I came to understand that this man, he's going back and his life depends upon God's grace and, and, and his hand on his life. 
It reminded me that my life is not my own either. And that when I graduated, God had a plan for me too. And I needed to open my hand up and do whatever it was that God told me to do, just like he did this young man who was going back to to Asia to be a pastor. His passion, his love for the loss, and his realistic outlook on the mission God had placed on, on his heart pierced my soul, and I was brought back into the reality that our lives are God's. And the fire that burned in the heart of Epaphras drove him to return to a godless city to share the good news there. What is God calling you to do today? It may not be to travel to a foreign country. He may not even be calling you to travel 100 miles inland like Epaphras. But if God's impressed a ministry on your heart, what steps are you taking to obey? Because delayed obedience is really disobedience. If God has called you to serve here at RCC, when will you step up? And let me tell you, if he's calling you to to minister here or somewhere else, the only right answer is yes, Lord. The gospel, simply put, is the good news of Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection. We just celebrated that and remembered it in communion. Jesus solved the two major problems that mankind faces. The first is our sin problem. It has to be dealt with. Because God is holy, he can't be uh, near sin. He can't have sin in heaven. And so there's a sin problem with man. If we want to come back to God, we've got to deal with that. And then number two, along with the sin problem, the sin problem brings death. Paul tells us in Romans 3 that we've all sinned and that, we, and that the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he said. And by accepting his gift that he's made available to us, we may know God as our father, our friend, our guide, and our mentor in the here and now, as well as the eternal sustainer of our souls in the there and then when we get to heaven. So go tell someone the good news of salvation. The first two letters of the, of the word gospel are G-O, go. Epaphras knew he had to leave Paul and go back home, just as this young newly uh, uh, mentored pastor did. He had to go back to Asia. He couldn't stay in America. He knew that in his heart he had to go. So stage one, they opened their ears up to what God was telling them. And here's stage number two of their faith. They believed in Jesus Christ. So with hearing comes a decision. Do I believe the gospel or, do, or, or will I reject the gospel? Do I think that it's a farce or do I believe it? That word believe is used in the Bible often. Paul wrote in verse 3 and 4, he says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Here it is. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So not only did they hear the gospel, but they had acted. They now had faith in Jesus Christ. There are two steps to salvation. First, you have to open up your ears to hear the good news. And second, you must exercise faith and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. He is the one and sacrificial lamb, the atonement for our sin. He dealt with our sin problem. And in so doing, he's offering us eternal life and a restored relationship with God. 
We're not saved through policies or procedures or good works. Even, baptize, even baptism doesn't save us. That's a, that's a step after we find salvation through Christ. There's nothing we can do, no, no act of, of goodness that, that we possess or that we can commit that will get us to heaven. The only thing that gets us to heaven is believing in Jesus Christ. In my opinion, the best translation for the word believe in the Greek is this, because there's several that they all mean basically the same thing. But I liked this translation of it. To place one's full weight upon something. Now, I notice that you're all sitting this morning. That's good. You're sitting in a chair. You know, I didn't see one person that was worried about that and wouldn't sit this morning. You had placed your full weight in that chair. Why? Because you trust the chair will hold your weight. And the same thing is true in this word here that he's using, to place one's full weight upon that Jesus Christ is Messiah, that he came and that he brought salvation to the world. I believe that. I've placed my whole weight up upon that. I've placed all my faith in this. That, that one day, if I die, or when I die, that I'm going to heaven because I might not die because Jesus is coming back and he could come back before the end of this service and he could call all of us that are in Christ back home with him. But either way, I know where I'm spending eternity. The false teachers that had made their way into the church at Colossae were trying to dilute this truth by saying that it takes works as well. Jesus, however good, it cannot save you all by himself. We, we need to do these things, and they have a list of them. And Paul wrote, this is outrageous to even suggest that mankind could do anything to gain God's forgiveness. Jesus already did that on the cross, and so he, uh, he handles this, and we'll begin looking at that next week. Paul was reminding these young Christians that they were saved when they placed their full weight upon Jesus Christ and him alone. Their faith would continue to grow as the cause and effects of that decision to place their full weight increased with their knowledge of God and the word. Take note here that the church of Colossae talked and walked their faith out so well that word of the church began to spread in Greece. Wow, there's a church that's just on fire in Colossae. It's, it's just amazing. The pastor of that church that we're going to meet in just a second here, Epaphras, had gone to visit Paul in prison. And, and while he was there, he told Paul about the church. He said, it's exploding. It's unbelievable. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And Paul gave thanks. And then he wrote this letter for Epaphras to take back to read to his church. And that's what we're reading this morning. These are the words they heard when he got back to him. Listen, any church that isn't known in their community is really of no effect. Wouldn't you agree? A church ought to be known in its community. How? For our love, for our concern, for our care for people. That's what we do here. We reach out to our community. I want everyone in Eagle and beyond Eagle. I want everyone in the Treasure Valley to go, oh, yeah, uh, I've, heard of, I've heard of that church. 
you guys are, man, you're doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, you, just, you just brought in, you know, almost a ton of food for the, uh, for the hungry. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that church. That's the greatest compliment any pastor could ever receive. You guys are known for how you love well, that you have concern for others. We want to be the salt and light in our communities. Every time I witness to someone who replies, oh, yeah, I've heard of Restored, my heart just, it just fills up. It's so good. Stage number one in their faith, they opened their ears. Stage number two, they believed in Jesus Christ. And here's stage number three. They were growing in their faith. They were not stagnant. They were growing. That's an active uh, word there. They were growing. Verse 7, you also learned, which means grew, from Epaphras, who dear, uh, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Epaphras became their pastor there. And the word grew means to to school, to teach alongside, to disciple someone else. The word disciple is found 260 times just in the New Testament alone. We are to share what we've learned. After we come to Christ, like Epaphras, he stayed, he was discipled, he understood the teachings of Christ so that when he went back to his city, he could share the good news with everyone, but he didn't stop there. After he had led people to Christ, he began to disciple them and teach them. A faithful Christ follower in church will always remain disciplers of Jesus Christ. They'll always be students of the word. It never stops. I've read passages countless times in my life, over and over, but every time I come across one of these, it rings in my ears different, and it impacts my heart different. Why? Because I'm not in the same place that I was the last time I read it. There are different circumstances in my life. Not only that, the Holy Spirit who resides in us speaks to us differently, and he'll whisper into your heart something a little different or add something a little different Each time you go through the study of a passage, you'll learn something different that you didn't know the first time. So we should always remain as students of the word. And that's exactly what Epaphras did. He ministered to them in their newfound faith, and he brought them the word and the truth. When I was a kid, I would go fishing with my dad up in in the Sierras, and, uh, and we would catch trout. And at the end of the day, we might have a, you know, a nice stringer. And I would pile my fish with my dad's, hoping that he would clean them while he cleaned his. (laughs) And he'd just smile at me, and he'd pick mine up and throw it to the side. And he'd say these words, you catch them, you clean them. You catch them, you clean them. That kind of stayed with me. Jesus said, we're fishers of men. We're out fishing. Listen, you catch one, you, you, you clean one. You disciple him. You walk with that person for a little while. I know it's not always possible to do that, but in every place that it is, you disciple that person that you've led to Christ. You walk with them for a while. We have a tremendous program here at at Restored Community Church. One One of the key elements, you'll hear this if you've been here very long, is discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. You know, you shouldn't come here to sit sour and soak. Okay, we've got enough of those people in church. What we need people doing is what Jesus told them to do, and that's to be disciples of other people. 
new Christians. We're, we're fishers of men. We catch them, we clean them. We need to teach them everything that Jesus has taught us and that we've learned. Jesus gave this command in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, when he said this. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's how Christianity has grown over the years. It's why it's the number one uh, religion in the world to this day, 2,000 years later. You know, second place is way behind. Christianity is still the number one religion. Why? Because it's one person telling another. It's one person loving another person enough to say, hey, you've just accepted Christ. Now let me teach you what Jesus Christ has taught me in the the word and in in his word teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And because this can seem daunting at times, Jesus continued and says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.